Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But let's get away from money for a moment, since lots of us have very little of that, and all of us have some talent, some gift, something unique to us that God wants to use for His glory. When He comes, when the test comes, when we stand before Him, not here, but there, when we get to heaven and our works are tested, He's going to say, okay, I entrusted this to you. There is an application for us. And I want to hear well done. I want to hear good and faithful servant. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus wraps a bow around his prophecies from the previous chapter. We start with the parable of the wise and foolish virgin and the parable of the talents. These are followed by some comments made by Jesus regarding what we can expect to see in those final days. Let's begin Pastor Sam's new message, Rejected or Rewarded. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, the title of our message, Rejected or Rewarded. Jesus' words had stunned them. One of them was going to betray him. All would desert him. Peter would deny him. He'd be arrested tried, crucified. He went on to tell them, of course, that after his burial, after his death, he would rise again. He'd ascend into heaven and he would come again to establish his kingdom upon the earth. But they were devastated. They were distressed. They were in despair. They hardly heard those words of encouragement, that promise of coming again and the kingdom established. As they were leaving that upper room and passing through the temple courts, heading out to the Mount of Olives, they focused on what seemed so real, so secure, so sure, the temple. Look at this, O Lord, look at this. Jesus took even that from them. He said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will remain upon another. Literally fulfilled, 70 AD, as Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. Well, they asked a couple of questions, and those questions formed the content of, well, Jesus' last sermon to them prior to his arrest and his crucifixion. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and, and what happens is they say, well, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When and what? I, I, no longer, well, how could such a thing be? Well, when and, and what? Well, you need to see all of chapter 24 and chapter 25 are the answer to those questions. Jesus made it clear to them that the time just prior to his coming again would be a time of great deception, of radical destruction, of devastation, desolation. The whole scene described for us in detail there in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. Three and a half years of tribulation, followed by three and a half years of great tribulation. A time of such radical devastation that unless those days were shortened, Jesus said, no flesh would survive. Well, all of this, though, leads up then to the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he wanted him to know that in between his leaving and his returning, he had work for them to do. It's always been a season of opportunity. There have always been open doors for ministry. But even in the time of tribulation and great tribulation, those both being yet future, we know there will be unparalleled and unprecedented 
seasons of evangelism, how so you might be thinking, well, the church you know will be raptured, we'll be looking on from our heavenly vantage point at the whole scene. How will multitudes be saved in and out of the great tribulation? Well, Joel tells us in those days, those last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. A little down payment of that in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit is poured out on only 120 people. Great crowds gather around. The gospel is preached. 3,000 are saved. What do you think happens when His Spirit is poured out on all flesh? Millions will come to faith in Christ. We know that in Revelation 7, 144,000 are sealed protected by him, witnesses for him. Then in Revelation 14, an everlasting angel passes through the heavens. Another angel passes through the heavens proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Who hears it? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. Well, chapter 25 then, it, it is a couple of parables, very simple straightforward yet profound earthly stories pointing us to heavenly or eternal realities. And then it those two were followed by, well, uh, the final prophecy of this passage of this great Olivet Discourse. The kingdom of heaven, we read, chapter 25, verse 1, shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut." Afterward, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, note with me the context of this. Contextually, we're looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ. This isn't the rapture of the church. It's not a judgment of the church. We will already have been raptured I'm thinking seven years prior to all of this, at least to the best of my understanding and reading through the scripture these past 24, 25 years. But in any case, we should be in heaven looking on. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be there. He said so. We know as well that the, the 12 disciples will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We will return with him to rule and reign for a thousand years here upon the earth. So this judgment actually looks beyond the rapture to the second coming. And, and his picture that he gives, well, it's really a picture of those who know he's coming. There will be many expecting his return. But he likens them to five who were ready for the coming, watching, prepared, and five who were aware but unprepared, not ready for his coming. Now, before we look at how this can still apply to us, though it's not directly written for or to us, note how it applies to them. The wise are prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. We don't have to wonder who the bridegroom is. Jesus likens himself to the bridegroom. By the way, you've heard the saying, always a bridesmaid, never the bride. The church is the bride. So we're not going to be in the wedding party. 
We are going to be the, well, beyond the guest of honor, Jesus the bridegroom, the church the bride, and here he's talking of those who would be attendants at the wedding. Today that would be your best man and you're a maid of honor, and then those who are a part of the bridal party, their culture was a little different, their habits a little different, and so the bridal party would join the bridegroom as he made his, well, way to and then with the bride, They slumbered and slept, all of them. They all expected him to come, all of them. But five were wise. How do we know? They were prepared for his coming. They had lamps. That would be necessary. Why? In this parable, he comes at midnight. He comes in the night. And so um, they arise, all of them. They all trim their lamps. They all light their lamps. But those who were foolish didn't provide oil for the lamps. Their lamps begin to go out. They cry to the others. They give us some of your oil. No way. That's not going to happen. Get your own. Sounds kind of selfish. It isn't at all. It's not really possible to share something that, well, it's a one-on-one thing. The source is the Lord, you see. And, well, the wise answered, not so, can't happen. And while they went to buy, we read in verse 10, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. I was reminded that Jesus in chapter 24 likened his coming, and this is his coming, he likened it to the days of Noah, days of idolatry, immorality, indifference. But if you go back and you read the story, you know after Noah and his family entered the ark, the Lord shut the door. In Revelation, our Lord tells us he's the one who shuts and no one opens and opens and no one shuts. And so the Lord shut them in. Here again we read, the door was shut. Other virgins, the foolish, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, assuredly, I say, I do not know you. Interesting. In chapter 7, as Jesus was sharing, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will respond by saying what? I never knew you. Same picture exactly. Oh, they knew he was the Lord, and they professed to be watching and waiting and ready for the Lord. But they lacked the one necessary ingredient. What was that ingredient? It was the oil. They didn't have a relationship, not really with the Lord. In Matthew 7, I never knew you. Here, I don't know you. The oil, you must know, a symbol throughout Scripture of the Holy Spirit. And what is our Lord telling us? Well, the same thing he told Nicodemus. Nick, you must be born again. Unless you're born of the flesh and the Spirit, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. The Spirit, the oil, Here's the picture as it applied to them. Some were watching, some were ready, some had the oil of the Spirit. And so, what do they hear? Enter in. And they begin to celebrate at the wedding feast. The others shut out. And then he says, I do not know you. His point, watch therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now this coming is referring to his second coming. We know that. But there's an application for us, though we will not be in this scene. Well, we too are awaiting a coming. This one simply, the trumpet will sound the voice of an archangel and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to be with the Lord. His promise in John 14, his prayer in John 17, that we could be with him in glory and see the glory he had with the Father before the world began. It's going to happen, you see. We're going to be in heaven during the time of tribulation and great tribulation. But here's the important point. When that trumpet sounds, the deciding factor in the separation that will take place at that moment 
will be the very same deciding factor. Do you have the Spirit of God? Does He have you? You see, the Spirit of God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, third part of the Trinity, comes alongside and testifies, convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And I can tell you, you're a guilty sinner and God a holy God and God a merciful, loving God who sent His Son Jesus to die for your sins and God the Holy Spirit will be tugging at your heart and knocking on the door saying, it's true, confess your sin, open your heart to Him. But in the midst of it, if you harden your heart, if you fail to confess, if you fail to open up, well, what will happen? Someday, and, and I believe someday soon, that trumpet will sound, that voice will sound, and we will be separated. Many of you have read the books or seen the movies Left Behind. That's what it's all about. That's the rapture, you see. This something quite different, the second coming. At the same time, the deciding factor in both situations will be your relationship to the Spirit. So today, the Spirit is either on, on the outside, knocking on the door of your heart, or He's taken up residence inside. When you, in fact, open your heart to the Lord, confess your sin to the Lord, ask His forgiveness, God the Holy Spirit takes up residence within. He begins to transform you from the inside out. He who worked from the outside in now takes up residence and works from the inside out, sealing you till the day of redemption. So while not written specifically to us, it has application nonetheless. The next parable, well, you'll see it does the very same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you've delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. He would receive two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first parable... Be ready, be watching. Some were wise, they were prepared. Others were foolish, they were unprepared. Second parable, not just watching and ready, but faithful and working. And he gives us a very clear and simple, straightforward story. And understand, parables 
unlike allegories, don't have numerous points of comparison or, or parallels or contrast. It's one central core message trying to get along or, or uh, provide for us one simple lesson. And that's exactly what's here. The first is to be watching, to be ready. The second parable, be faithful, be working. He tells us he gives one of his workers, one of his stewards, five talents. A talent was a measurement, but it's not exactly what we would think. It was a weight, not really an amount. You know how they measure gold and silver in ounces or in pounds. So if you have an ounce of gold, it may be worth this today and that tomorrow, but it will always be an ounce of gold. That's what a talent was. It was a measurement, a weight. But I like that they use the word talent because I'm absolutely certain for our purposes and in our context, the Lord would have us know that it isn't just the finances he's entrusted to us that we must be good stewards of. No, all our abilities, all our talents, natural and supernatural, they're given to us to benefit and bless one another and to benefit and bless the world around and to bring glory to the Lord. And so he gives to one five talents. He gives to another two talents. When he returns, the one who had five, well, he's doubled the Lord's investment. What does he hear? Well done. And I'll tell you, you want to hear that when the Lord returns and you stand before him. You don't want to hear, what in the world were you doing down there? <laughs> Fortunately, we're going to hear, I believe, well done. But, but I want you to see, one has five talents. Some of us with two would look at the one with five and say, well, how come you gave him five? Listen, if you could handle five, the Lord would have given you five. Can we know that for sure? Yeah, he says he gave according to their ability. And here's the wonderful thing. The Lord knows exactly what he's called you to do. He knows the gifts he's given you in order to fulfill the calling that he's placed on your life. He knows your true potential. And I would think most of us in this room, rather than exaggerating our potential... Most of us don't have delusions of grandeur. We don't expect to do great things, not naturally or supernaturally. But the Lord is expecting to do great things through us. And we really need to understand that we all have at least a talent, that the Lord has given us something unique to us. And, and well, it's not just for us, but it's for Him. It's for others. There's a great danger to those of us who feel, well, the Lord hasn't given me much. I see what he's doing in you. I see what he's done through them. But he only gave me just this little, the great danger, that we would hide that, that we would bury that, that we would fail to use what he's entrusted to us. You see, when we stand before the Lord and he tests our works, and he will, it won't be this judgment. This, this isn't us again. But we will be at the bema seat of our Lord. And our works will be tried by fire. Those things we did for, well, bad motivation, well, false motives, to be seen of men, to be acknowledged of men, to be thought spiritual, they're going to burn up. He calls it wood, hay, and stubble. It will be a refining process. But we will be rewarded for those things we did in the Spirit and motivated by Him. Even a cup of cold water given to one of His in His name. He said, you will by no means lose your reward. So some have five, some have two, some have one. What's the important point? How you use what the Lord has entrusted to you. Not just watching and ready, but working and faithful to use what God has entrusted to you. Now, if it's finances, and because talents, well, they did apply it to money, and you got to know that the Lord expects a return on his investment. 
Now, we're living in interesting times. We're one of the richest nations in the world. But if you put your money in the bank, your banker will tell you, well, 2% is not bad. I mean, that's something. Well, not real bad as long as inflation stays below 2%. But if it goes to 3 you're actually losing on your savings. And then your broker or whoever, if you happen to be in that category, they'll say 5 or 6 or 7% isn't bad. Not in this economy, stocks and bonds being what they are. Listen, I want you to hear what the Lord says, well done to 100% return on his investment. Can you imagine? He entrusts 10 grand to you, or let's be realistic, $500 to most of us, and we invest it wisely, and now we have $1,000. What's he going to say? Well done. But I'll tell you how we play with the Lord's money, with his investment, and not just with his money, with all of the talents and investments he's made in us. Well, we live on credit. We're the richest people in the world, and we live on credit. So we make 10000 and we spend fifteen. And if you think, if I could just make fifteen, I'd do better. No. Those who make forty, they spend sixty. And those who make eighty, they spend hundred and twenty. And what happens? The more you make, the more in debt you go. I'd suggest to you that stewardship financially, well, it begins with understanding that everything we have comes from the Lord. And if you work hard for it, be grateful. He gave you the capacity and the ability to do so. But I believe the first 10% should go back to the Lord, that we should be tithers and that we should have enough to care for our own families because he says we should. And then we should have an excess to give to the needy and the poor to support the work of missions that a good man has an inheritance and leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. You see, most of us are going to struggle to leave anything because we're so far in debt today. What am I saying? It's not all about money. But since talents, well, they do have a financial application, it's important that we see if we're in debt, we're going backwards. This guy buried the money and didn't gain anything. When we're in debt, we're losing daily. And it's the Lord's investment. It's what he's entrusted to us. But let's get away from money for a moment since lots of us have very little of that. And all of us have some talent, some gift, something unique to us that God wants to use for his glory. When he comes, when the test comes, when we stand before him, not here, but there, when we get to heaven and our works are tested, he's going to say, okay, I entrusted this to you. There is an application for us. And I want to hear well done. I want to hear good and faithful servant. I want the Lord to be pleased with how I use my time and my energy and, and my enthusiasm. I want him to say, well done, Sam. And, and I'm praying for you that that will be your heart as well, that you'll invest in the kingdom in every single way, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, practically, that you'll hear as, well, these two stewards did. Well done, good and faithful servant. Note, they're blessed in at least three ways. They were blessed because the gifts given to them, the assets entrusted to them, were doubled by them. That's a blessing, you see. You got five, you get ten. And when you get to the end of this, he takes the unfaithful servants, one, and he gives it to the one who has ten, not who had ten. It appears he gives the ten back. He says, hey, you did good with the five. Let's see what you can do with the ten. In fact, this guy didn't do anything here. Let's see what you can do with the eleven. You see, the first blessing is that the gifts God has given are doubling in the first place. The second blessing is the master's well done. Already mentioned it. We want to hear it. The third blessing is greater opportunity in the future. And if you can get past today or this week or this month or this year, and if you're getting older, well, it becomes easier and easier. If you're young, it is so hard to look past now to the down the road. 
everything seems to be about immediacy and, and really things should be about eternity. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of business temporally. We have to. But we need to make every decision in light of eternity. We are stewards of all God has entrusted to us. We want to be the best stewards possible. As Pastor Sam clearly illustrated, the talents we read about in the parable of the talents are not necessarily financial. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul clarifies this for us. He says in verse 7 that these gifts manifest themselves in each of us for the profit of all. In other words, we all have one gift or another. And then after describing the gifts themselves, Paul says in verse 11 that the Spirit works these gifts to each of us as He wills. For those of us who may think they have nothing to offer, this is incredible news. You do have something to offer, and it is powered by the Holy Spirit, so you can count on it being effective, even if you think that you are not. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.